Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manu Veth and I'm joined today by Tim from Vancouver. How is it going, Tim? How is the West Coast? I'm missing it a lot and uh, please tell me the weather is nice. The weather is nice. Life is great here. Um, yeah, uh, good morning. Very excited to be on the pod. I wish I was eating shashlik like some uh, pod uh, members, but I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some, of, some of us are living the high life in Siberia, right, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> luxury life out here certainly is yeah so... tell them about your slick <laughs> oh well i mean it was uh you guys you should be honored by the way i'd just like to point out i actually left the shashlik meal halfway through i missed two courses of barbecued chicken barbecued pork but i still got a bit of it and um, there weren't too many mosquitoes and it was yeah it was delightful sunshine no mosquitoes lovely food and then to top off the day a football grad podcast what more could i ask for there's nothing much else you can ask for i would say but you know that's dedication leaving a shashlik for uh, the talk about football but you know this is we have a really big topic today and i mean we've been gearing it up now on footballgrad.com haven't we um, we have the ultimate guide to the confederations cup we have the individual country guides to the Confederation Cups, and we're planning to do previews on every single match on footballgrad.com, so that's coming out very soon. And we're going to have me and Andrew at the tournament. Um, so how excited are you, Andrew? Because, I mean, we're going to meet up very soon in Moscow. We're going to go to see a lot of football, and um, we got fully FIFA accredited. How cool is that? Yeah, no, that exciting, isn't it? Um, I mean, you know, I've actually genuinely admired the concept of the Confederations Cup for, for some time. I particularly enjoyed it four years ago in Brazil because you could see how much the fans got behind it. And I actually think it's a, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant competition because it doesn't, it doesn't try to be any more than it, it is. It's only eight teams. It's, it's not too much extra stress on the, on the players. It's an opportunity to see some exciting younger players coming through. Good for the host country to, you know, test out their capabilities. And best of all, I actually get to live in the country where the Confederations Cup is. So, um, topping that off with accreditation, oh, brilliant. Pretty, pretty good, hey? Yeah, it's very good. Although we do have to talk about something that has been happening today, or yesterday, actually, and that's the, the Navalny protests. And Navalny, of course, he is the maybe the only legitimate op- opposition politician in the Russian Federation today. And uh, he's been arrested for 20 days after there have been protests um, all over the country. Most of these protests were 
we're very safe and very um, calm and um, not violent at all. Um, at the same time, there were some issues in Moscow because Navalny changed the roots of the protests. And I, I want to underline here that the, the Russian government, actually, this is this is a very big surprise for anyone who's followed Russian uh, politics for some time, like I have and like the two of you have, obviously, that these protests were actually sanctioned by the Russian government. The, the peaceful marches were actually sanctioned. The problem in Moscow in particular was that the Navalny group changed the route uh, to the Kremlin. They wanted to walk down Tverskaya uh, Avenue. And those people who are not familiar with Moscow, this is this is a massive throwaway in Moscow. It's the biggest uh, route. And the reason why they weren't allowed to walk there is because there was already another event going on, um, which then, of course, led to a breakdown by the police and arrests. And um, I saw some news today that, of course, how I compared this to Brazil. And, I mean, we've talked many times in this pod, right, Andrew, about the comparisons between Brazil and Russia, uh, the corruption. And corruption was a big issue in the in the protest. Navalny is all about corruption. He, the, those people who don't know, he's um, published a video on Medvedev, Dmitry Medvedev, the um, one-time prime minister, president, etc., um, you know, the second man behind Putin, and he his alleged corruption and um, the money that he's received from parties all over Russia and uh, oligarchs, etc. And uh, that, has, that led to protests against corruptions. And that's where you perhaps can draw a little bit the connection to Brazil. But quickly to both of you, why is this the same? But why is this very different to what happened in Brazil? And Andrew, I let you have the floor here real quick first. It's for me a well positive and negative thing i think the fact well you mentioned the main positive there manuel already the fact it was sanctioned by the russian government i mean you could look at that two ways and i i'm going to be the slightly more cynical of these two viewpoints firstly it could genuinely be uh, a sign that um that the Kremlin is is starting to slowly ease up on on the right to protest, the right to um, free speech. However, I would also argue, and this is what I actually believe is the case, that they are still so com- uh, so confident that in the you know the upcoming elections, there's no chance of um, of Navalny actually gaining power. Which realistically, everybody knows what the result will be already. Um, so, in a way, by sanctioning these these speeches, these marches, they get a bit of positive PR, but at the same time, they're not realistically going to lose much ground. Um, so that's what I think has probably happened. And uh, anyway, the fact that they sanctioned it is it is in some way, even if it's for cynical reasons, it's still a positive step in the right direction. Um, but the fact that it wasn't violent, I'd say that is really the main difference. Um, I mean, four years ago, there were genuine fears that World Cup stages would actually be attacks, um, you know, quite heavily. And there was widespread violence on the streets. But, you know, eventually they did crack down on it with the police force. I think the difference here is that um, I don't think anybody would be stupid enough to attempt Mm. such widespread violence as we saw four years ago because it would just be virtually impossible to, to get away with it with the security presence on the streets here. So so that's, that's those are the differences for me. Um, it, yeah, the 20-day the um, prison sentence for Navalny. I mean, he's... I mean, it's house, arrest. Horrible. house arrest. House arrest. House arrest, sorry. Yeah. House arrest, sorry. Um, uh, it, that's that's going to be, well, pocket change to him, really. He's, yeah. he's experienced 
different forms of, of arrest in the past, hasn't he? And outsiders will look at it and say, well, that's a scandalous um, action. But, well, I mean, look, I, you've, got to be, you've got to be fair. By the letter of the law, it was, it was actually relatively fair. He did go against what they said he could do, having already sanctioned his protest. So I don't actually think there's a scandal to be had out of this. Um, it will blow over fairly quickly. Um, but look, at least we've seen some some rights to um, free speech. So that's positive for me. Tim, how do you see this? I mean, you are Russian. Um, there were protests all over the country. 20,000 people in Moscow, I believe. Thousands of people in all the other cities. Corruption is a major issue. And I think especially young people are pretty fed up with it, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And uh, <clears throat> Navalny has been on the corruption topic for a while, and he's been releasing all those different videos. And I completely agree with everything what Andrew said. I think that's uh, that's exactly <clears throat> is my point of view, what he said. The only thing I wanted to add is that uh, the difference uh, between this and Brazil, because it was it wasn't just the protest against the Confederations Cup or the World Cup. It was just a it was a Russia Day, and it was a protest all over the country. To, for 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 the for the Russia Day, it wasn't specifically for Confederation Cup. Yes, Navalny released a video about uh, the um, Kristovsky Stadium, mm. uh, but it's one of his many videos. It's not. I don't think it was focused specifically on Confederation Cup. So uh, yeah, I, I I hope there will be no problems, and I don't think I actually I don't think there will be any dangers uh, in terms of like you know hosting the the football event. Yeah, as a, as a political scientist and historian, I think. That there are some parallels between the two countries, and I mean, we we talked about these parallels a lot on this podcast. But this protest feels very different. Um, the target doesn't seem to be quite as much the football, but the general politics. I think one interesting parallel, and I think this is going to be something that we will probably have to cover until after the tournament, almost. I mean, the 2018 World Cup is whether this is going to involve. FIFA at one point or another and I think this is going to be something very interesting because similar to Brazil is that there's going to be an election following the 2018 World Cup and I think that is something that is going to probably follow this podcast for quite some time. We like to interconnect politics and football and I think that is something as we build up to the tournament and as we are the tournament we are going to follow to a certain extent but i mean there's there's lots of other things we want to cover and we only have an hour so we want to jump into the tournament and i want to really quickly introduce the four host cities before we go into um, the sporting aspects of it and as andrew said there is going to be some very interesting teams there and some very good football to be played but before we go to that um, st petersburg moscow kazan and sochi are going to be the host cities I think those are offering quite an interesting spread for football fans traveling to the country because you get to see St. Petersburg, which is probably the most beautiful city in the country. Moscow, the capital, of course, the Odkritya Arena. Uh, Tim, your stadium. Oh, right? oh. <laughs> yeah, Kazan, uh, Kazan, of course, I've been there and uh, I'm looking forward very much forward to going back there because it's such an interesting mix of you know, um, different religions and different cultures. Um, the fact that it is uh, Tatar, um, a Muslim city and a Russian Orthodox city at the same time, I think that's very fascinating. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. But And then there's Sochi, right, Andrew? And I think you should maybe talk about Sochi for a quick moment before we jump into the football. Oh, yes, absolutely. And anytime anybody invites me to, I'd love to. Sochi is... Um 
is I'm really pleased actually that it is a host city because I mean not just the actual stadium which is spectacular and it really is in the most stunning setting 100 meters from the Black Sea set in the Olympic Park the Formula One track snaking around it um, but the Sochi the city itself is just such a pleasant city to spend time in you know it's, there's I mean for me the highlight is there's a main central street that runs almost from the train station pretty much to the coast itself um, that the mayor converted into a pedestrian street and lined with, I don't know, three-storey high palm trees um, in time for the 2014 Winter Olympics. And it's just, it's a social hub. It's a really, really nice area. There are street entertainers, there are cafes, people sitting outside. Um, the atmosphere of Sochi is just wonderful. I mean, I, I can't speak highly enough of it. So anybody who's remotely considering coming to Russia, whether for Confederations Cup, for World Cup, or even just for tourism in general, Sochi is an absolute must. Um, I, I really, I can't speak highly enough of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's it's a really great spread. Um, the only the only issue I can see, and we'll get into this while we're, when we talk about the different games, is maybe the travel. Um, Germany. Uh, without giving away too much, for example, we'll be flying from Sochi to Kazan and Kazan to Sochi in a matter of just five days. And it's it's a long trip, isn't it, Andrew? Uh, well, yes, it is. And they do have, well, I would almost argue, one of the more difficult um, itineraries. The only um, the only advantage is that uh, going, uh, going back to Sochi, at least they'll be familiar with Sochi, and mm. I'm sure they will have some sort of a half temporary base there. Um, so at least I'll be familiar with that. And the other side of that is I would argue that um, by that stage of a competition, a bit, it's that game will come into the games in more detail, but yeah. the last game against Cameroon is, I would argue there, well, it, that should by then, it should be, I would argue should be through by then. Um, it depends on the Chile game, of course. But um, the the other side of it is that they are coming back to Sochi. It is a very relaxing place. They could, you know, have a walk by the seaside, um, and there are plenty of areas where they should be relatively undisturbed. So, okay, yes, it's a long distance, but it is, I would argue, a very pleasant place to be. So, yeah, there there are pluses and minuses of a lot of it, but I'd say it's worth it for a good spread of cities. Yeah, but of course, uh, sorry, Tim, go. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to put a little bit of a positive spin and like play kind of a devil's advocate. Uh, like like Andrew said, this tournament is not trying to be more than it is. It's a friendly tournament to test out the conditions and um, to get prepared for the World Cup. I think that's a beautiful opportunity for Germany to understand the distances, uh, you know, how the World Cup will go. So actually... Maybe it's not easy, but at least it will give them the experience to get prepared for the next year. So I, th I think it's actually could look at the, the, as a positive thing, all the travel or looking at the stadiums and uh, getting that experience and knowing mm. what to plan for for the next summer. And I want to get to that just in, when we get into Group B, because I have a few pointers on that. So bear with me. But I want to start this with going back to St. Petersburg, the very north. Um, very excited to go back there, actually, on Friday. Uh, especially because at this time of the year the city doesn't sleep we're going into the white nights which means oh. uh yeah tim you basically said it don't you it's yeah. it's going to be incredible and russia are opening the game the the tournament on saturday against new zealand and um group a of course is russia new zealand portugal and mexico and it's it's for me uh an interesting group with a very interesting mix and three sides that 
will be battling for the top two spots and then of course New Zealand and that this is no disrespect to the New Zealand I think that they're going to um, play a good role in this tournament but I think considering the group that they're in it's going to be quite tough but um, Tim that opening game for Russia will be a must win game right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, like, uh, like I said on a previous pod, I'm not very positive about mm-hmm. Russia chances in this tournament. Uh, so, given that, oh, yeah, they have they have to get three points. Um, that's a must win, and I don't think it will be easy for Russia. Even like we spoke, New Zealand is uh, you know the quality is not maybe there, but at the same time they will be a very organized defending team. And Russia usually having a very tough time uh, with what, those kinds of teams throughout the history. We played a lot, like, you know, when you qualify for any tournament, you have to play all those San Marina, San Doras, and all those countries. Russia, very, very rarely, since the 90s, we always had problems with those teams because Russia is not kind of team which can play possession football and be very effective at it. So I think it will be a tough game, even given... I would really hope that it will be the full stadium and the fans get behind the team, and this will help Russia to get three points. Of course, at the Krostovsky Stadium, this, it has to be full, right? This is what the expectations are. Um, but, you know, it's it's going to be, for me personally, um, that is the game that they have to win if they want to have any chance in this group. Because I see Portugal, Mexico, when they look at the squads, they're very, very strong squads that they bring into the tournament. And they're both taking this tournament very serious. And I think when you look at Portugal, Mexico as individual squads, they both have to be... Um, settle above Russia, right? So I think um, if they don't get those three points, it's basically game over, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, like you said, you said it. Yeah, the, the quality of uh, Mexico and uh, Portuguese players are higher than the Russian overall quality. So getting three points, hoping maybe for a tie in the other game, and then hopefully getting something out of two other games. I think that's the plan for Chechesov. Andrew, you did the New Zealand preview for footballgrad.com. Um, not the easiest article to write, I imagine, because it's not the most known site, but you did a very good job, I think. I, I had to edit it, and I thought it was an excellent article. What is your thought on this? Well, yeah, I mean, you are right. They they are the well, they're the lowest-ranked side, according to FIFA rankings, I think they're 95th in the world, according to FIFA. And that is after their two highest rises they've ever had in their history. So um, if they're actually – they're a lot better than people give them credit for. They, I, I would be amazed if they if they got a point out of this um, this tournament. But all of almost all of their – their squad play abroad. They a lot of them, most of them play in Europe. A lot of them play in, you know, maybe not the top tier of countries, but their star player Chris Wood, for example, he's top goal scorer in the English Championship last season, and that is a notoriously difficult league to be successful in. So they do have, they do have some players. They have um, a a midfielder. Um, I think it's Marco Rojas who has Chilean descent. And I watched a bit of A-League football this season. He was actually a very exciting young talent. So they're not to be, they're not to be dismissed outright. Um, they are defensive. They play one man up front and they usually play a three-man defence or five-man defence, depending on how you want to, to look at it. So they, they gave Northern Ireland a good game um, last week. And again, okay, Northern Ireland aren't necessarily a heavyweight, but don't forget they got to the knockout stages of the European Championships last summer. So New Zealand and Russia didn't. Been... Yeah, and Russia didn't. Well, you know, precisely. So you know, if New Zealand, and I, I would argue New Zealand had the better of that game. So 
I definitely, I completely agree with you guys. It's it's painfully obvious this is a, an absolute must-win game. Um, so if, if Russia don't win this, then they've got absolutely no hope, um, both of progressing in the tournament and of gaining the respect of the fans. But I do expect them to win. I don't expect by much, maybe a couple of goals at most. Um, but it's a good way to start off for everybody, I think. That's definitely a lot of pressure. You're going into this game knowing you have to win. And there's going to be 68,000 people in, in the Krestovsky. Um I'm really curious to see the build-up of this and see how it goes. But I want to quickly move to Portugal, Mexico. And this is basically, um, you know, those two, I have them going first and second. I just haven't decided yet who's going to be first or second in this group. But both those countries brought their A squads to this tournament. And I did the Mexico preview, and I am I expect a lot from Mexico. Mexican football is on the up. Um I know in Mexico itself, there's a lot of critical voices about their football, but when you look at the talents and the level of gigi play, it's the strongest league outside of Europe in Mexico. Um, the squad is, is is full of players that know how to play football. Um, first and foremost, of course, Chicharito, but also Marco Fabian. Um, brilliant players. A lot of experience in Champions League, Europa League, Bundesliga. Um, I think that they're going to be quite strong. And on the other side, you have Portugal, of course, the European champions. I think, you know, we're a little lucky winning the European Championships last year. But you guys would more or less agree that they will have to be the favorites um, in this game. In the game against Mexico? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if, if, if Portugal would be favorites here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with the Mexican squad, like mm-hmm. you said. And um, of course, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, that's, that's, that's a top footballer and uh, Mexico doesn't have. But I heard from you, from the, the podcast, uh, from Golazo podcast, Mexican league is very strong. And I'm looking at the squad right now. There's quite a few players who play in in uh, Mexican side, as well as players from, you know, Porto, you have Villarreal, Benfica, mm. Real Sociedad, player who plays on a very, very top level. And knowing Mexico, and I watched them live when they played here in Canada, it is a very strong squad. Again, of course, it's Canada, you know, like it's... Yeah, but that yeah. game in particular, I, I was at that game in the press box. They were impressive because they could have ta- they could have taken that game easy and they didn't. And they were three or four leagues ahead of what Canada had. And again, yes, it's Canada. But, you know, they didn't, they took this game serious and they dispatched Canada very quickly. You know, they knew they had to do their job and then they looked, um, they looked like a machine almost. Exactly. Yeah, I was very impressed. And the players they have, so I, I don't think, and, you know, you, you're right. Yeah, Portugal, they like of course Cristiano, but they don't really play that. Especially in the Europe, they didn't play this beautiful football game. It was it was grinding out results, and that's why I think you know I don't see them as favorites. I think it will be a battle uh, for really a, a very good, first of all very good game with lots of great players. Yeah, and Andrew, how do you see that? I know your man Cristiano Ronaldo is in the squad. A uh, bit of a scandal today. Uh, the Spanish government um, is putting him to court for tax evasion. You think that's going to affect him at all? 
Oh no, he'll he'll um, he'll be done for that because he wants to beat Messi at absolutely everything. So he'll want to beat him even at how much tax he has to pay back. But, <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, I mean, Ronaldo. Look, I mean, he gets a lot of critics, and um, I mean, he he played for my club, Manchester United, obviously, um, and I'm very fond of him for what he did in our in his time in Manchester. For all the critics he has, one thing nobody could possibly say that he doesn't do is absolutely dedicate himself to his craft more than anything else yes he loves himself he loves his image but he backs it up by being a bloody good player and a bloody good athlete don't forget he is um he's in his 30s now what is he 31 32 years old sorry he's 32 and he is in the absolute prime physical condition when most players around that age are starting to slow down so I mean, I don't want to focus too much on him. They do have a, a fantastically talented side. Bernardo Silva, in particular, yeah. is one player. I was just going to mention him. That's, yeah. that's that's for me next Portugal's next superstar. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, he will be um, he will be an absolute star in England, um, Manchester City. Andre Silva just moved to AC Milan. Um, I mean, you know, we haven't even seen the best of of all of their young players. They don't even have. Um, Renato Sanchez, and, and I heard you talking about him on the Gagan pressing pod, Manu. Mm. Um, he's been moved to the under twenty one squads, I understand, for the under twenty one Euros this summer, and that's how strong their squad is. They can afford to not insist that he comes to the seniors. So, um, how do I see this game going? I, I do think Portugal are favourites. I know exactly what Tim is saying, and they, it, it is a hard one to call. It is a hard one to call. Um, could well, it could well end up um, as a draw. But I think the fact they are led by Ronaldo and his just insatiable appetite for um, glory and, and success and, you know, it's self-image is part of it, but it drives him forward. I don't think, I, I think Portugal have enough to win this one. I'm, I'm going for Portugal to win this one. And I think they're favourites for the group because of this game. Um, it all hints on this game, of course. But uh, yeah, I see Portugal just about edging this one. And that, I mean, that is, I, I, my opinion is it is going to be Portugal, Mexico, one and two. I know Russia fans are not going to like to hear that, but I think when you just look at the paper, uh, Russia will have a very hard time getting out of this group. But I mean, it is in Russia that will give them a slight edge. And going, looking at match day two, Mexico will get this three points against New Zealand. I have no doubt. Um, but Russia, Portugal, and Moscow, um, we are actually going to be at this game as well. That is one at Gritia Arena in your home stadium, Tim. Um, Gritia Arena is a loud stadium. It's uh, I. It's hard to tell what the Krzysztofski Arena is going to be like because it's a brand new facility, right? But Gritia Arena, I've been for Russia's uh, World Cup qualifier against Montenegro there and mm. covered that game. And it was the game that uh, European qualifier, sorry, um, and the, the game that got them to the Euros in 2016. Under Leonid Slutsky, it's a loud facility. It's um, it's a proper football stadium. It's a good football stadium. It's a football stadium that can carry a team forward. That is, um, let's say they got the three points against New Zealand. Russia will get, have to have or get a draw here, right? At least if they want to have any hope. And that is going to be will have to be the match plan, right? Tim. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, knowing Cherchesov, uh, when he started working for for uh, uh, w- w- as a coach of a national team, he didn't really promise a beautiful football. He said, "Listen, every you know we have to work with what we have." He picked this um, tactics with three central defenders, 
And I think that actually, I think it's a realistic approach to, to the squad we have and to the talent we have. So I think he will be very defensive against Portugal and Mexico. And I think that's a good way to approach those games because like we said numerous times, the talent in Mexico and Portugal is higher than, than, than Russian talent. But if you provide this organization, which Chichestov is known for, I think that gives Russia a chance. I'm not saying that we will get three points. And I, like I said, I'm not very optimistic about our chances. But I think Cherchesov is the right man for this given squad. And um, he has a very um, realistic approach. And that's, that's where the Russia chances are. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would agree with you. And I actually thought the last two friendlies looked pretty good. Um, you know, the, the, the victory against Hung- Hungary, of course, and the 1-1 draw against Chile. And the, my my feeling towards the Russian national team has always been that they are best when they are almost an unknown quantity, when all the players just, you know, more or less become a machine and work together as as a as a team unit rather than individual players. Like we saw at Euro 2008, you know, and the, the stars were basically made at that tournament. There were no stars going into this tournament. Uh, the Ashavins, Pavluchenkos, etc., Tobinskis, they all were created at this tournament. But going into the tournament, they were a bunch of nobodies. And that might actually suit them uh, to a certain extent, because even when you go back into the history of the Soviet Union, the football there was always at the best when it was almost like uh, the coach found a unit, a system that worked best for the players, and the players could become bigger than the, the sum of all parts. And that's really what has to happen here, right, Andrew? Well, absolutely. And I think um, I agree with you on the point of the, the unknown quantity factor. And I, th- I think that is going to be an advantage. I've, um, I, spoke to, uh, I spoke to the guys at Low Limit Football on a pod earlier this week uh, about, about Fyodor Smolov and how he is the obvious, obvious standout star. But the, the setup of the team and the, the formation that Chichesov has chosen, like you said, Tim, I think it's sensible. It's the right sort of setup. There aren't out-and-out explosive wingers, so we're not going to play with wingers. We do have good wing-backs. We have Smolnikov. Okay, Fernandes is injured, but in the long run, Fernandes is going to certainly be in the running for the, the starting lineup. Yuri Zhirkov, I think, even at his age, I think he's a very experienced wing-back. He's good. Samadov is being moulded into that role too, very, very successfully, in my opinion. Um, the Kambaraf. three centre, uh, well, Kambaraf as well. I mean, he's just won the title, so you know we're well stocked in those areas, aren't we? Um, so, I mean, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you guys. I am a bit of an optimist um, when it comes to Russia's chances of getting out of this group. It's, it really is a, a fight out for me. It's that that game against Mexico. That's the key for me, and I'm, I'm sort of half holding out hope for this one because. Mm. Um, you know, in, Kazan, in Kazan, of course, which is, in my opinion, a little bit of a disadvantage. Well, it, it might be a little, but I mean, I, I don't know, because, you know, the Kazan Arena is, what, 45,000 capacity. It's not mm. as big as the Kostovsky, so it's almost certain to be, you'd imagine, certain to be filled. Um, and it does, when it is full, it does create, again, you mentioned the Akritia is a very loud arena. Kazan Arena is similar when it's full. Um, and you know, at that stage, if Portugal have beaten Mexico, then the pressure is on both of them. Um, uh, I don't know. For me, honestly, and I'm not just saying this to be optimistic, but I do generally think it's 50-50. Because, and I say that on the back of the two positive performances we've seen in the friendlies against Hungary and against Chile. So, yeah, the, the 
the setup for me, I'm pleased that we're not overflowing with optimism because the expectations might rise too quickly. Um, I actually feel comfortable with the level of expectation or lack of um, around the national team. And I think that's going to be a strength. Yeah, um, I worry about this game in particular, Andrew, because, you know, we talked about this, right, Tim, that Kazan Arena, the, the Republic of Tatarstan, uh, in some ways sees himself as um, a part of Russia, but not really the Russian Federation. And I wonder if they can get the crowd and the support needed uh, behind them to, to get the three points that they will probably need at that stage. Right, Tim? Absolutely, yeah, that's a challenge. And um, I don't think, yeah, like we, how many games they played at this arena. But um, when they play, you know, it's, you have to understand that Russia is, has a very poor um, attendance, uh, like game attendance. So our players are not spoiled with um, attention. So when Borussia Dortmund plays in front of the full crowd, that's a regular Tuesday for them. But when Russian players uh, play in front of the full capacity, that's like a celebration. That's like happy birthday to me. So I think maybe, hopefully, I really hope that the um, you know the stadiums will be full, and that gives uh, Russian players an extra extra incentive. But yeah, the stadium is beautiful. I really hope it's it's hard to say because also from what like I know Russian people sometimes. Um, they will just, I think, I, ho- I really hope it will be the day off, just walks in, and uh, hopefully the first two games will be a success, and then uh, everybody would like to see the, the final game and, and support the, the team. So, yeah, we need we need the full capacity. So, Kazan people, if you're listening to us, go to the game. <laughs> Saying that, uh, I want to wrap up Group A uh, real quick to you two. Who's going to finish first? Who's going to finish second? Tim, you go first. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay, I hope, I hope I hope I will be right. Portugal, Russia, Mexico, and then New Zealand. Oh. I'm just being a little bit, little bit optimistic here. A little bit optimistic, <laughs> Andrew. What are you saying? I, I'm actually going to say the same. I, I, I do realise I am slightly swayed by by where I live, but um, I just I've got the fifty-one percent in favour of Russia just edging <laughs> it. So I, that's how I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Tim's prediction: Portugal first. Russia second, Mexico third, and New Zealand fourth. I, of course, wrote the preview for Mexico, and I said they would get out of the group stage. So um, <laughs> We've gone against our boss, and we're in trouble. <laughs> I, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely in trouble, but I, I actually fear uh, that Russia are going to start. I don't want them to go out. I want them to go deep in this tournament because it's going to be better for the atmosphere, but I think it's going to be Portugal first, Mexico second, and Russia third. I think that's more realistic what will happen, but yeah. Yeah, it'd be it'd be not great for the tournament because it'd be good to have them at least, you know. Because if you make the semi final, of course uh, you lose. You still get the the bronze medal game. So Russia would be there till the last weekend, and that would be a, really the ideal scenario, right? Like how it was in Germany in two thousand five when Germany hosted the Confederations Cup and um, went there with a squad that wasn't the best Germany squad of all time, but um, came very close in reaching the final and, of course, won the, the the bronze medal match, which meant they were there till the last weekend, um, which is important, I think, um, for the overall atmosphere. And uh, I remember yeah. that Confederations Cup quite well. It was a great atmosphere throughout the, the tournament. And um, so let's hope for the best. But, you know, speaking of Germany, they're, of course, in Group B. And um, I kind of want to start start uh, mentioned Germany a big part of the pot we've already talked about them a bit 
But before we dive into uh, Germany's experimental squad, uh, a bunch of unknown players um, to German standards, I want to talk about Cameron Chile, which is the, the opening match in that group on June 18th in Moscow. And that's that's going to be a very fascinating game. I'm actually going to be at that game. I'm going to get up very early in St. Petersburg, take the subsun to Moscow and uh, head to the Okrite Arena to see this game. Um, thoughts on that, guys? Cameroon is very much the unknown, isn't it? And uh, Chile, Matt Hawkins did the football guard preview for them. Um, they will take this tournament very serious, right? Andrew? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was looking at their squad list and I realized that, so about 10 years ago, I, I don't know if I followed African football more, but I recognized the names in their squad more, certainly. Um, this time round, the unknown quantity, certainly from a personal perspective, from my perspective, um, is certainly the case. There's only something like 350 caps across the whole squad. Um, but there are some players in there who are potentially uh, lethal game changers. Um, Vincent Abubakar, for example, um, playing for Besiktas in Turkey, uh, he's a powerful striker. He could cause problems for any any team on his day. Um, Christian Basogog as well. I mean, he's a player who I've been fascinated with his story. That Fascinating was, player, what, yeah. It was like two years ago he was yeah. playing, still playing in Cameroon, I believe, wasn't not? Um, yeah. And he's now playing in China. Um, so, I mean, I can't speak with a great deal of authority on exactly how good these players in this squad are. But that, like we mentioned to an extent with Russia's um, squad, is potentially a strength, the unknown quantity. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't personally think they will have enough experience and and class to get past Germany and Chile through the group stage. Um, for this game, Chile's squad, don't forget, Chile's squad is vastly experienced. They have over over a 1,000 caps in their squad for this, this tournament. Um and they've got, you know, they've got X-factor players like um, Eduardo Vargas and, and of course, Alexis Sanchez. So, I, I, I mean, I'd be interested to see Cameroon do well. I wouldn't be disappointed if they did get some good results. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be great for the tournament to see a bit of an unknown quantity get through. But I don't quite see it happening. Um, for this game, I, I do think Chile will just, just have a bit too much quality. Um, but and I'm hoping for a, a lighter game at least, and I'm sure we'll get that. Yeah, I, I think uh, really for me, Chile is, is the, the, the country is going to take this tournament very serious. South American teams tend to take this tournament very serious, right? So um, more serious than Germany certainly is. Um, Chile is taking very much the A squad to this. And um, one, to probably win this tournament. Two, very strong uh, Cuba America, of course, the, the the normal Cuba America 2015 that they won in the home country, first Cuba America they ever won. Um, you know, that was a big event for them in their country, and then of course they won the uh, extraordinary Cuba America Centenario in the United States, um, a tournament that I, we actually cover quite extensively on the Football Grad Network, and they, you know, two tournaments in a row and. When you look overall on their squad, it, it's a it's a good squad, and um, they would even be slight favorites for me to win this group, um, mostly because of what Germany has done going into this tournament. And uh, we kind of talked about this on the last part, right? And that Germany 
and you guys laughed at me when I said this, but they're taking a B squad um, to this tournament. <laughs> or actually, it's not really a B squad; it's a very experimental squad. But I've now seen them against Denmark and uh, San Marino. And although yes, San Marino is maybe not a huge test for them um, by any means, but you know the game before the, the game against Denmark, I I thought they were actually doing quite well, especially considering that they only had one training session going into this game. A very young, energetic squad with a lot of very interesting players and a lot of players that can play very good football. And um, I also thought that there was a bit of a style change with Germany into this game. I just wrote an article for Fußballstadt.com on Sandro Wagner, who's come into this and debuted now as a 29-year-old. And he is a very different kind of player than you usually see in Germany in the last eight or nine years. He's not small. He's not a dribbler. He's a big, powerful, strong forward, someone who can break defensive lines. And he scored three goals against San Marino. He's a dangerous against Denmark. Um, they, the Germany seems to have re- refound the ability to cross the ball into the box, I guess, because they now have a guy that they can hit. And it seems to be um, almost giving them an extra little... You know, an extra tool. Um, I also thought that he did quite well playing with um, Timo Werner and Lars Stindl up front, you know, having a smaller forward with him, which then, of course, changes the entire Germany setup to a 3-5-2, which is something completely new. Um, and I'm really curious to see how they're going to do against proper co- opposition. Um, the opening game against Australia, and Andrew, you did the preview on Australia. They will have to win this no matter which squad they're going to send, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's a bit unfair to say you've got to win against the world champions. But um, you do make an interesting point. And this, again, it comes back to why I'm such a fan of the Confederations Cup. You know, if it was any other tournament, it would possibly be seen as a little bit disrespectful to bring such an inexperienced squad. But I don't think this is the case here. I think this is one of the main... Uh, main plus points of the Confederations Cup. All of those players that you mentioned... um, Manu, in the Germany squad, um, I mean, the, the average age is, can't be much more than, what, 23, 24, possibly. Um, and, you know, it's it's a genuinely a good compromise between friendly atmosphere and competitive atmosphere. So for Australia, it will be an odd atmosphere, if anything, because... You, on one hand, you're playing, you're playing the world champion. You're still playing against players who are first-choice players at some of the best clubs in the world. I mean, Julian Draxler, I'm really looking forward to him taking centre stage because I've not, I've not watched him personally very closely for last year, so I'm interested to see how he'll do. Um, as for Australia... I mean, look. I mean, we're we're both we're all expecting New Zealand and Australia to finish bottom of their groups. And again, it's it might be a bit disrespectful to say that, but we've got to be realistic. They they don't have the same quality as the other countries. Um, however, what I would say is keep your eye on Australia. Their manager, um, uh, Ante, uh, I can't even pronounce his name. Postecoglou. Sorry, I'm terrible with pronunciation. Um, he is a very innovative coach. Um, he plays three at the back, but against, uh, I think it was against um, Iraq in the qualifiers uh, a few months ago, he played an extraordinary formation, something like 3-1-4-2, or no, 3-2-4-1, sorry, that was it, three at the back, one holding midfielder, then four attacking midfielders behind a, a front striker. They're a very attacking side. So they're not going to, they're going to be different to New Zealand. New Zealand will be a defensive side. Australia are going to go for it. 
Um, they, they they have Tim Cahill, who is their, I believe, all-time top goal scorer. Um, he's in their squad, but um, he's not guaranteed his place. They're a very attacking side, so it'll be, I think, a very interesting game for the neutral. Germany, I'm sure, will still have enough quality to win, um, but given the fact there won't be quite so much pressure on them to win, or so much demand for them to win, at least... You never, you never know. Australia in the past, they have got impressive shot results at, at major tournaments. So um, overall, though, I think they will put up a good fight. It will be an interesting, entertaining game, but I expect Germany to, to beat them in that one. Yeah, um, of course, Australia, Australia today scored on uh, in 12 seconds against Brazil. But yeah, Tim, go. Yeah, Manu, I had a question for you on the German squad. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Bundesliga. That's probably my favorite, uh, maybe second favorite after Russian League. Good I man. watch a lot of. <laughs> uh, I watch a lot of games, and you know what? Uh, always, uh, you talked about a little bit of change of style, and I really want your opinion on that. When I watch the games, the thing I like about Bundesliga because it's 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 such a straightforward football. They just running. There's like back and forth running like I watched like Hoffenheim uh, Leverkusen game recently in the end of the season it was just it was just track running I love it it's just so attacking they don't really it, it's all focused on attack when I watch the German national team especially if we go back to the the World Cup win and everything and they play more like this possession style football they keep the ball because of their just overall quality so I th see this disconnect between the league and the national team um, from what I understand, no, not from what, that's how it is, the, the squad which they have right now is a little bit more like a younger squad, the players mostly from uh, Bundesliga. Do you see them, what kind of football do you see them playing in on the Cadivert Federations Cup? That attacking, running, a lot of running football or go back to the style like possession football? Well, you know, the, the, the big issue with the German national team for them has always been that the uh, are forced into the role of possession football, right? Because the game that sticks out to me is the game against Northern Ireland, where they basically were playing European handball around Northern Ireland's goal, right? The In German football, the quick transition game is very important. German footballers, uh, most German coaches are big believers that you have to finish an attacking move in 10 seconds. You get the ball and you finish attacking moves in 10 seconds. That's that's the schooling there. And there's some coaches now that say it has to actually be less than that. It has to be eight. You know, So that's why you get that real quick transition game. Um, the German national team, I'm sure, would like to play that way. The problem is that 90% of the teams that they face on the planet will eagle themselves and will you know, put themselves a wall around the net and uh, force Germany to play possession game football. And that's why you see this big disconnect. Um, uh -huh. And this has been actually something that has been addressed. German, the, the Joachim Löw wants to um, find ways to get this quicker transition game going. Um, find ways to use the quick and really technically um, capable players that we have. We have a bucket load of attacking midfielders. Um, you know, even when four or five of them go down, there seems to be five or six other ones popping up that can easily slot into those three men behind the striker, right? If you play the traditional 4-2-3-1. And um, I think that the, the slow transition to a 3-5-2 is doing that. They um, introducing, reintroducing Mario Gomez to the national team and now playing Sandra Wagner, you know, a big guy who can basically cause havoc in the penalty box. 
and then surrounding him by smaller players like Timo Werner, for example. Timo Werner and Sandro Wagner, I think, are going to be a wonderful combination at this team tournament. Uh, keep in mind, Sandro Wa- uh, Timo Werner has scored 21 goals as a 21-year-old in the Bundesliga this season. Very good. And um, he feeds off a strong player who can give him the room to score those goals. And uh, RB Leipzig, that's use of Paulsen. Sandro Wagner can now do that for him in the national team. So I think there has been... Um, sort of an understanding that that has to change, that they have to find a way to play that quick transition game. But keep in mind, you know, Australia is not going to give to them the favor <laughs> and play attacking football because it, it will end up in murder, right? And yeah, yeah. that's why you see that. That's why you see Germany playing that way. And it's really, um, you know, on one hand, Joachim Löw for a long time believed in possession play. Uh, he's sort of moving away from it because of what happened in France, um, where Germany basically robbed themselves of winning the tournament. And um, they're trying to find alternatives to to basically play that quick transition game. But yeah, that's a very good observation. And it is something that's being addressed. And I'd be curious to see, you know, this, they're going to use this tournament as a test tournament for this and bring in these young players who can play a little bit of a different style. Um, have the Hoffenheim guys and they have the RB Leipzig guys and they have uh, players from all over from different uh, clubs that can sort of put pressure on the established players is what Joachim Löw wants to do. It's not that he's not taking this tournament serious, but he understands that no one is going to criticize him if he, if they not win it, right? And he wants to basically say, like, look, we have all these young, talented players and we want to give them some serious playing time and they're going to get good opposition. Yes, the Australia game is going to be an um, easy game for them. By And this is no disrespect to Australia. It will be. But then they're playing Chile, and that's yeah. Chile's A side, right? So that's going to be a really good experience for a lot of young players. Even if they not win this game, it's going to be a fantastic experience. And I think this is actually one of the games I'm looking forward to the most, is that Chile-Germany uh, game. Yeah, that's that sounds like a cracker of the game. Uh, Chile, like you said, A squad. And I'm looking at the, maybe because I follow Bundesliga closely, but I know all those players. I know that they're leaders in their clubs and they play beautiful football. So even you say it's what how we call the Germany B2 side, oh, I'm still very, very confident in the quality which you have in the squad. And seeing those young players getting a chance to play at the higher level, I think that's a great decision because if Manuel Neuer, Hummels, I don't know, all those players have go and win another Confederations Cup, uh, that doesn't really give them a lot of like winning experience where they are already winners. Those guys, they, they, I think that's a genius decision and it shows just the strength of in German football in general that you can take be second squad and still be one of the you know leaders of, of football and, and have a great squad. Uh, just congratulations uh, to you, Mano. Well, the, the thing is, and this was a really interesting article I read today in the Süddeutsche um, on Joachim Löw, and he basically wants to avoid what happened to Spain from you know going from 2010 to 2014. It was the same players, the same formation, the same core, and they got butchered in the group stage, right? And he wants to basically by introducing these young players and make put pressure on the established players and to also change the style. You know, four years is a long time in football in terms of style. And he wants to basically make sure that when they go into this tournament, they will be a different style. That the German teams go don't play against Germany and say, well, we know how they play. They have played the same way for the last four years. And um, I think he is smart enough to understand that they can't have that. Germany's goal, and they're very, very outspoken about this, they want to win this World Cup. That is all that matters. Even the Euros were not important for them. They want to become the first country since Brazil 
to defend a World Cup. And everything to that is secondary. And that, that is the attitude that they're going into this tournament. That's the attitude that they used at the Euros. Um, nothing is more important than that. And, you know, in German folklore, the World Cup is the most important tournament for us. It's, um, you know, we are, I think, to, together with Brazil, when you take the average points, we lead the table. Um, Germany is the World Cup and the World Cup is Germany. And that, I think that is something that people have to keep in mind when they look at this tournament and in the squad. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited. I, I am very very excited to to see Germany, and that's definitely my second team of choice on that tournament. Just because of that approach, I really like uh, when uh, young players get getting developed. This is what I like watching just in football in general. See the progress of young players, and this is just a perfect um, you know perfect setup for me to see all the players who I already know to see how they will perform at the level. And hope, like you say, you said probably half of that team will go to Russia next year, right? A bunch of them will. Yeah, I would say five or six at least. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of them at the U21. Uh, we, we talked about Serge Knabry, uh, who just moved to Bayern. He's at the U21. He's not even in the squad. Leroy Sané, he's uh, out with an injury. So he's not playing in this tournament. He was nominated, but he's not playing. Um, so there's a bunch of players that are still banging on the door. Um, and that's taking the, the A squad aside. So we have a lot of depth. The the key will be to get that horsepower onto the field. And that's, I think, that that's Joachim Löw's job. And I have full trust that he can do it. And, I, you know, going back to this actual tournament, I think um, Germany and Chile are, for me, hands-up favorites to get out of this group. And I would go even a step further. I say those two are maybe even the favorites to win the tournament. I'm curious to see what maybe Andrew, what do you think? I mean, this group is a very interesting group. But mm. when you look at Chile and Germany, those have to be um, maybe together with, you know, whoever wins Group A have to be the favorites to win the entire tournament, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely go along with that. Um, I mean, I think it's it'll be it'll be the biggest shock ever if, if it wasn't those two came out of the group. I cannot see either Cameroon or Australia um, uh, beating either of them. So, yeah, and no, I'd agree with that. And interestingly, for very different reasons, um, like you guys have just covered very well, the the approach of the Germany squad makes them a very exciting option. And the education, um, having, like you say, most of them grown up through one of the one of the best youth systems um, for the last, well, 15 years, really, Um that makes them, even if they're inexperienced, it means they're well-educated, they're going to be well-prepared, chilling with the experience, the other end of the scale, coming towards the end of a cycle almost, but still, I mean, just look at their squad. I mean, it's it's a it's a fantastic squad, goals galore in it. So, yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I'd say um, I'd say Germany and Chile, um, two favourites. Uh, Portugal, I, I don't know. Portugal, I think, will they will certainly be motivated to win this tournament. They do also have a strong squad, and Cristiano, of course, um, he loves he loves to lift a trophy or two, doesn't he? Um, but I, I I go along with that. I'd say Germany and Chile, my two favourites, absolutely. Yeah, Tim, what do you think? I mean, we basically nailed down Group B, uh, saying Germany and Chile are going to finish one two. One way or another, I think it will be determined when they face each other. But you know that's what it's going to be. Um, would you go along with that? Those two countries, favorites to win the tournament, maybe? Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, comparing to all the squads, Chile and Germany have the strongest squads. I'm still maybe I'm a little bit biased. I think Germany has the, the strongest squad, but you know I'm, I'm 
I just like them. Uh, but again, Chile, like the 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 the, the like how you call those the the game decisive players they have, Vital, Sanchez. This is what counts in big games and big tournaments. So I totally agree, and I think um, I'm just looking. They can meet meet in the final, right? If they win yeah. semifinals, so yeah, that would be a good final. Yeah, I, I think and that is actually my prediction for the final. Um, and then it's a 50-50 game, as finals are. I, I think if Germany's A squad would be there, then you know that would be probably the the team that would lift the trophy. Now I'm not so sure. And Chile is is experienced in winning tournaments. You know they were very good in in their own country to win their first Cobra. and then they were fantastic in the United States. Um, so I think that they they are they're going to be quite strong and. They have something to prove. And Andrew, you say it quite well. They're coming a bit in the end of a cycle, um, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they are. They've got, um, I mean, you compare the Germany and Chile squads. We're saying both of them favourites, but Germany's squad, nobody over the age of 30. Chile have got, I believe, 10 players who are 30 or over. Four of their squad have got 100 caps. Um, they, like you say, they've won two Copper Americas. I think they had something like, if you count the predecessors to the Copper America, the South American Championship, they entered 35 tournaments without winning the South American Championship slash Copper America, and then they won the last two. Wow. Um, and, you know, they, they their squad is, well, they, they, they can't be accused. If they don't win anything more, they can't be accused of having failed. They've won, um, won two very prestigious tournaments. Um, but... They are an aging squad, and I think it's yeah. I mean, it's sad to see a cycle come to an end when there's such a generation of players so close together in age. Um, but they still have a lot of legs in them. It's not like Arturo Vidal is going to just calmly stroll around the pitch. I mean, he will bite and fight and run and do everything until he's got no energy left. So, um, I mean, he's just he's one of my favourite players. I love Vidal. Just the energy and tenacity of him that's the sort of player you want to play alongside. So, um, yeah, end of a cycle potentially coming along for them. Um, uh, so it's it's just, I think this tournament is going to be fascinating. You've got so many different levels of ability, different approaches, different squad selections, different priorities. Um, that It's just so hard to say exactly which order of teams are going to finish. I think we know the four strongest sides but how they're going to approach games, you never know. There is still room for a surprise in there. So uh, I just I just cannot wait. I cannot wait. Uh, Tim, before we wrap this up, any final thoughts on this tournament? I'm just very excited. I Just if you take a look at general, I really want this to be a good tournament just because I want Russia to do well. Not the, I mean, not the national team. Uh, of course, I want that. But I want as a country, I want it to go very well. I want it to be well attended. Uh, for you guys to have a wonderful experience of going uh, to Russia, like going to this tournament and having a great time there. I just want this to be a um, good step for the preparation for the World Cup, just to showcase that uh, Russia is not evil, that we have great things about the country, about the about the stadiums. And I just really hope it uh, will be the, um, a great tournament and hopefully Russia make it out of the group. Yeah. That, that's a very good point. I mean, in the end of the day, I, let's hope this is going to be actually a fun tournament to watch because that's what football is all about. We want to have fun and we want to get to see some really good football. Listen, guys, our time is up. I want to wrap it up. Andrew, whoa, whoa, I mean, people know you are at the Confederations Cup very soon, but what else have you been up to? 
Um, well, I mean, I'm writing um, I'm writing a feature on Mexican football and I've um, been in the editing team of uh, the, these football times. We're bringing out a Mexican edition um, that will be on sale next week. And I'm really, really proud about this project. So, guys, if you like your, your Latin American football, this is going to be a, an amazing issue. So go to thesefootballtimes.co for that if you're interested. Um, but, yeah, like you say, otherwise it's a lot of Confederations Cup stuff. I'm doing podcasts for different um, streams and uh, different media. And then, of course, football grad during the tournament itself. So just um, it's, it's all, all systems go at the moment. Fantastic stuff. And Tim, what have you been up to? Well, I've been uh, busy with uh, my punk rock radio show, Rocket from Russia, that I've done, for example, an in, in interview with a band, uh, the band called Off of Their Heads last night. So that has been busy for me, but I'm also getting excited for the um, upcoming Confederations Cup. And I will be retweeting all the tweets from the, from the motherland. Uh, so if people want to read that, it's at RussianTim61. That's my Twitter handle. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And uh, make sure to follow uh, Tim's punk rock show if you're into that really cool stuff on there anyways i've been your host manuel Weff, and uh you know you can find me on footballgrad.com or at footballgrad live on twitter all the previews up um chris williams handed in his portugal preview yesterday so we have complete eight previews on the different countries and we have an ultimate guide to the fifa confederations cup on footballgrad.com um, we're going to have previews, we're going to have parts, there's going to be tons of stuff coming um, on all three pages over the next two weeks while we're in Russia, interviews, uh, live reports, live vlogs, anything you can imagine. So uh, come visit us on footballgrad.com, footballdecidage.com, fußballstadt.com and um, yeah, it will be tons. So until next time, cheers and bye bye. Want to be sure you always look your best? The Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup Mirror from Conair makes it easy with all the features you need to groom and apply makeup with precision. Lifetime LED lighting won't ever dim or diminish. No replacement bulbs needed. One-time magnification provides a full view or 10 times magnification for close-up tweezing and details. Designed with a beautiful rose gold finish, the mirror rotates at 360 degrees with a 7.5-inch viewing surface to attend to every feature. Makes a great gift. Go to conair.com for the Reflections LED Rose Gold Makeup mirror now thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube